You're listening to another life-transforming message from Awakened Church with campuses in San Diego and Salt Lake City. To find out more about us, go to awakenedchurch.com. We are in a, a new series called Essential Matters. And we're talking about just the essential nature of church, the essential nature of God and of our faith. And there's a, an old, I think it was by a lady named Jen Wilkin. And she said, um, we don't need new truths. What we need are to remember old truths that have recently been forgotten. And, you know, we've been just overwhelmed and inundated with new things in 2020. Maybe it's just me. It's been a little wild. Every day, new facts, new figures, new policies, new this, new this. And it's just been a giant, like, just reacting. Every day, every day is like, what new fire am I going to be putting out today? At least for me. Maybe, am I the only one? Come on, please don't leave your pastor alone, right? That's been 2020. And I believe that it is time to get back to basics, and we've just been overwhelmed with just, again, responding to different things and just trying to just deal with the madness that is 2020. And as we are in this series, essential matters, essential, essence. To be essential means the most basic need, the most foundational thing. And I really felt um, the Lord speak to me that this message is going to be about just getting back to the fundamentals of our faith. What is it? that we believe, and why do we believe it? So come with me in your Bibles to Luke chapter 5 is where we're going to be. Luke chapter 5. It's going to be on the screen behind me. We're going to read um, a story um, out of the Gospel of Luke about an interaction Jesus has with uh, some folks. So the title of my message is The Great Physician. The Great Physician. So Luke chapter 5, 27 through 32. should be up on the screen behind me, but follow along in your Bible. So here we go. Verse 27 says, After these things, he went out and saw a tax collector named Levi sitting at the tax office. And he said to him, Follow me. So he, Levi, uh, left all, rose up, and followed him. Then Levi gave him, Jesus, a great feast in his own house. And there were a great number of tax collectors and others who sat down with them. And their scribes and the Pharisees complained against his disciples, saying, Why do you eat and drink with tax collectors and sinners? Verse 31, Jesus answered and said to them, Those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. Come on. So from this short little passage, we, we see a few things. We see that there is a, a disease. There is a, a sickness. And we also see that there is a cure for that sickness. And we also see that there's a, a treatment plan. It's subtle, but we're going to get into it, that Jesus outlines. So there is a disease, there is a cure, and there is a treatment plan. So, Point number one, there is a disease. What is it? I mean, we've been obsessed with diseases in 2020, right? That's all we talked about, right? But there is a disease greater than COVID-19. There is a disease greater than anything we've ever faced, and it is the sickness of what the Bible calls sin, okay? Now, in our modern culture here in the Western world, sin is like it's just kind of a weird word, right? And, and, and there's this gross misunderstanding of what it is, what it means. It's almost kind of like, almost like a kitschy, funny thing these days, right? Like modern people kind of laugh at the notion of, of sin. It's kind of like, what does that even mean? That's an archaic word. doesn't mean anything anymore. And um, let me 
break it down for you a little bit. First of all, sin is not sex, drugs, and rock and roll, okay? All right? And that's kind of what modern people think, like, like God is this cosmic killjoy up in heaven who made all these rules, and he's watching, you know, he's like, like some cosmic Santa Claus seeing who's naughty and nice, and he's got his list, and he's like, uh-huh, yep, uh-huh, naughty list, uh-huh. That's not the biblical understanding or definition of sin, but we have this incredible misunderstanding in our culture of what it is, what sin actually is. There's, um, was a movement that kind of started back in the um, 2000s called the New Atheist Movement. And it was headed up by these four guys that are called the Four Horsemen of Atheism. Um, and one of, and they, they, they took it as their personal vendetta to, to single-handedly dismantle religion, Christianity, faith, etc. And one of the Four Horsemen's name, was, uh, name is Sam Harris. And he's a, a, an atheist neurosurgeon, neuroscientist. And he wrote this uh, letter, it's a book, but it's called A Letter to a Christian Nation. It's basically his scathing rebuke of Christianity um, in our country. And there's a line in there that I think is incredibly telling. And he says, your principal concern, talking to us as Christians, talking to the American people of faith, he says, your principal concern appears to be that the creator of the universe will take offense at something that people do while they're naked. And it's just so funny that, that that's what non-believers and maybe even believers think that sin is. It's like God just like watching what everybody does, you know, behind closed doors. And that's, and that's where he's keeping his, his naughty list. And again, that is not the biblical definition of sin. We're going to unpack it here in just a second. There's a, a, a professor at the Trinity um, Evangelical School of Divinity. His name is Don Carson, and he does university missions. He loves going out to universities, talking with young people and evangelizing and, and sharing his faith. And he says that the hardest thing about evangelizing in today's world is communicating the notion of sin because it is so grossly misunderstood. And so we can understand what it is by looking at Genesis chapter three. We're not going to, it's not going to be up on the screen. I'm just going to talk you through it. So a lot of us probably know the story. If you don't know it in great detail, you probably know it just sort of, um, you know, know the, the story in general. So Adam and Eve are in a garden um, and, uh, and there's this tree that God has said, you can do anything in the world you want. Just don't eat of this tree. They eat of the tree. Then their eyes are open. They realize that they're naked. And in Genesis three, seven, here we see what it is to be sinful. In Genesis three, seven, it says that they realized that they were naked and they sewed for themselves fig leaves as a covering. And that is what it means to be sinful, to be separated from God. All it means is you taking your own life into your own hands, saying, I don't need God. I don't want God. I will sew for myself a covering. I will take care of myself. At the end of the day, really what sin is, is it is cosmic self-reliance. And we think of self-reliance as a great virtue. It's really good to be self-reliant. But really, it's not on a spiritual level. I mean, it's good to be self-reliant, like to be a responsible adult, to, you know, take care of yourself, to manage a budget, to vote. That's good, you know, to be uh, self-reliant in the physical. But in the spiritual, to be self-reliant, to say, you know what, I'm good. I'll take care of it myself. I'll go my own way. I'll do my own thing. That is the biblical definition of sin. It's not sex, drugs, and rock and roll and God watching every little, it's, it's you taking control of your own life and whether it's consciously or subconsciously saying, I'm gonna do it my way, like the Frank Sinatra song, right? I did it my way. That is the biblical definition of what it means to be sinful. It's taking anything, 
even a good thing and making it an ultimate thing, okay? Give you an example. Let's say you have children and you love your children and you should. That's a good thing. God loves that you love your children, okay? But if you love your children to the point where your entire identity, your sense of meaning, how your sense of purpose is derived from what extracurricular activities your kids are in and how good they're doing on their soccer team or whatever it is, and and you actually derive meaning from that, and you derive your self-worth from your children, from being a parent, that is elevating something above. God is the only thing that can define meaning for us, that can give us purpose. So to elevate anything above that, even a good thing, it's a great thing to have kids. They're a gift from the Lord. But if you elevate that above God, the Bible would say that is sinful, right? So that is the, the, the sickness the, the, that Jesus is talking about. I came, he says, I came as a physician. And the sickness is this sinfulness that separates us from God. And so in Romans 3.23, it says that all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And Romans 6.23 says that the wages of sin is death. So this is starting off really cheery here this morning, right? So basically what I've told you so far is that we all have a terminal disease. Aren't you glad you came to church today, uplifting and full of life? But don't worry, be of good cheer, because point number two, there is a cure. There is a cure. And so... The wages of sin is death, the Bible says in Romans 6.23. And it's interesting because what that word wages in the Greek is actually the same verb that was used to describe how a general would pay his soldier. And so it's interesting that the wages that you earn um, as a sinful person is actually a debt. It would be like you get a new job and you're super excited and you work a full week and the boss says, great job, you owe me 2,000 bucks. Wait a minute, it's, it's backwards, right? We, and so that's what it is. The wages of sin, what you get out of the deal is a debt that you owe. And that debt is your life, eternal separation from the God that made you. But there is a cure, praise God. There is a cure. So we owe this debt. So Jesus comes and he says, I am the great physician. I have come as a physician to heal this sickness. And so we, we know the story, right? Jesus lived um, uh, a perfect life and died on a cross. That's kind of a, a weird thing. Why did it have to go that way? And I, when I was kind of, you know, new to, to faith and trying to get my head around it, I just, I had a hard time with, with that. Like, why did Jesus have to, to die? Why did we have to go through all the gruesome stuff and, and be tortured and die? I didn't really get that. But the point is, is that there was a debt to be paid. And it's, and it's, it shouldn't really, that shouldn't be too hard for us to get our minds around. That's the way that our society works right now today for all humans, believers, non-believers. Let's say that I sin by breaking one of our laws, okay? Like as in society, and I commit a violent crime. I will owe a debt in the form of prison time to atone for that transgression, right? So even, and everybody's on board with that, believers, non-believers. So even, even here in our world, that's exactly how it functions, where we owe a debt for transgression, right? And that's exactly how it works in our society in the exact same way that it works in the universe. And so I want to ask a question. So what, why can't God just forgive? Why can't he say, hey, we've all made mistakes. Just don't worry about it. It's all good right? 
The reason is, and let me explain it this way. Let's go back to this, this courtroom example, okay? And let's say we've got a violent criminal who has, um, has you know, committed some violent, terrible crime. And you've got the family of the victim in this courtroom, okay? And so, um, you know, the, the, the hearing is over, guilty, gavel falls, come back in two weeks and we'll do your sentencing. And so two weeks later, this violent criminal is there before the judge and the entire family of the victim is there waiting for this sentencing. And the judge says, okay, you have been found guilty in a court according to your peers, but I'm just feeling really nice today. Had my coffee, feeling good. So you know what? I forgive you. Just go, be free, all good. What's the problem with that? The family of this victim gets no justice. And that's the big problem. The reason that God can't just blindly and, and, and blanket forgive is because he is a God that must uphold justice. And so he has to find a way to be both loving and, and able to forgive while still maintaining his justice by carrying out justice. He can't just forgive or there would be no justice. A long time ago, I was, I think, 19 years old, and I, uh, my, my dad died when I was 19, and um, suddenly and, and tragically, and so kind of left my family reeling a little bit, my mom and my sisters and myself just kind of trying to figure it out. So it was in February, and then there was a, a I just kind of started going to, um, to this church in Texas, just kind of like needing some direction and some help. And there was a, a pastor at this uh, small Baptist church in Texas that, that took me in and said, hey, you know what, like you're going through a lot. Why don't you just come and stay with me for the summer? And so I lived um, with this pastor for the summer and it was super great, just kind of was able to, to be in, in a safe place and kind of process some of the stuff going on in my life. And, um, and, and this, this pastor was awesome, took care of me, let me live in his house for free, would take me out to dinner, just kind of talk me through things. And, um, and one, uh, one time he, he left on a trip on a, I don't even remember what it was, but went out of town. And he said, hey, while I'm gone, you can use my car if you would like. I thought, well, that's really nice because I was 19, I drove this, super beater car that barely worked and he was going to let me borrow his really nice car. And I thought, well, that's great. Yeah, I'd love to. Thank you. So off Larry goes, his name was Larry. Larry's on his trip and I'm driving around his super nice SUV, feeling great and uh, driving along and, and trying to find, change the radio station. And I look up and there was a red light and everybody stopped except for this guy. And so I just smashed into the person in front of me and left this huge dent in the front of Larry's super nice Eddie Bauer edition Ford Explorer. And I'm just like, oh my gosh. And so the worst part wasn't that. The worst part was having to call Larry while he's on his trip and say, hey, bro, hey, love you. Here's what happened, you know, and kind of, and, it, and Larry was so gracious, you know, he said, hey, first thing, you know, are you okay? You know, yeah, I'm fine. He was like, don't worry about it. We'll talk about it when, when I get back. So Larry gets back and says, hey, you know, I've, I've given a lot of thought because I, I owed Larry. I smashed his car. It was my fault. I did it. And so I needed, it was, the debt was on me to fix his car, right? But Larry said, you know what? Don't worry about it. I'll take care of it. I forgive you, okay? But I want you to take note of something really important. When Larry forgave me, the dent in the car did not go away, Okay? It was still there. So instead of me paying for it, Larry's forgiveness meant that he was going to pay for it. 
right? Forgiveness is assuming responsibility of a debt that is owed. When someone wrongs you, they owe you something. To forgive them says, you know what? Don't worry about it. But it doesn't mean that the pain that they cause, whatever, just goes away. You still have to work through it. So when I smashed Larry's car and had the big dent, Larry was either going to have to pay for it, or when he sold the car, he was going to have to accept less money for it. No matter what, that debt had to be paid. It didn't just magically disappear when he forgave me. So when God forgives us, what's actually happening is there is a transfer of responsibility for a debt that is owed. And so we owe a debt that we cannot pay. But the message of Christianity, the fundamental truth, the reason we're here, the reason that we sing is because God himself assumed that debt and said, I will pay it on your behalf. You can't pay it. I will pay it for you. And that's why we can say things like, this is the day that the Lord has made. I will rejoice and be glad in it. That's why I was like, when Katie and I were on our way here, um, we, we pray every Sunday in the car on our way up to church and just pray for, for you guys, for the service, for God to move. And you know, we, we said, amen. And I'm just sitting there driving, just overwhelmed at the life that I get to live, how incredible God is. And that kind of freedom, that kind of joy can only come when something was given to you in an unmerited way. At no other world religion is like that. Every other world religion says, if you want to get to God, you've got to clean yourself up. You've got to do this. And then maybe you take one step back, but then you take two steps forward. Then I look like I'm line dancing up here. And then maybe, you know, you, you backslide a little bit, but then you're just going to grit your teeth. Every other world, like, like in, in Islam, they, they, they call him Allah the merciful. And the whole idea is just really hope that you just string together enough good deeds and on the day you die, hopefully, God is feeling merciful. Hopefully, he's in a good mood. Don't know. Hope so. Really? How can you live your life like that every single day wondering, like, is it all going to be enough? Every, all the good deeds I've racked up, is it, when, when we finally get there, is it going to be enough? Am I going to? And that is something that as a Christian, you don't have to live with. There's an old hymn called Blessed Assurance. And that is one of the sweetest gifts from God. Blessed assurance. You get to go through your life knowing that it's not up to you, that you don't have to, to carry the weight of your own salvation, of putting your own life together, cleaning up your own junk. That song we sang, that he breaks every chain. It's not you gritting your teeth and being disciplined and type A enough or you can just finally get through it and beat that addiction. It is the supernatural power of God that is the cure that breaks every chain in Jesus' name. So there's this disease and there's this cure but then there's actually this treatment plan that's outlined very subtly in um, this passage in Luke. So I want to look back at, um, I think it's verse 29. If we could put Luke 5, 29 back up there. It says, then Levi, remember this is, Levi is the tax collector also named Matthew that, that Jesus calls to be a disciple. And he's so overjoyed that, that Jesus would, would, would call him to be on his team. Tax collectors in those days were, there was nothing worse, nothing more despicable. It would, like in, in those days, I've, I've racked my brain to try to come up with an analogy that would help communicate the despicableness of a tax collector in ancient Palestine. The best I can come up with is this. It would be like, imagine um, there's somebody who uh, has a, a charity for the children of soldiers who have died in combat. And he's skimming money off of that charity, not giving it to the kids and keeping it for himself. 
I mean, if we as Americans found out about that, oh my gosh, we would go berserk, right? And that is what the tax collectors were doing. They were taking taxes from the Jewish people to fund the violent Roman oppression of the Jews and skimming money off the top to boot, right? So these guys were despicable. And Jesus calls this guy, and he's so overjoyed, so overwhelmed that, that, that this rabbi would, would choose him to be a part of his, his team. That in, and he says he gives him a great feast in his own house um, in, in Luke 5, 29. Um, and there were a great number of tax collectors and others who sat down with them. And their scribes and the Pharisees complained against his disciples, saying, why do you eat and drink with tax collectors and sinners. It's subtle, but Jesus said, I'm the physician. I have come to call sinners to repentance. And what does the outworking of that look like? Getting together and eating, drinking, being together, being with Jesus. It's a picture of the church. Jesus was not in that moment supernaturally ministering and calling down warrior angels and and doing miracles and teaching and preaching, although he did all of those things, when he says, I came as a physician, what it looked like was just being together. Jesus being with them, them being with Jesus, them being with each other, and that is why the church is and will forever be the hope of the world because it is where the cure is administered. It is where there is an outworking of God's goodness where, the, where it's almost like a pharmacy where you, you, you come and you, you, know, you get your prescription filled that, that is your healing and then you, you keep on going, right? And so that is the picture that we see of the church. There's a sickness, but there is a cure and there is a place where it is administered. Now listen, do you have to go to church to be a Christian? No. There, you know, you look at the, the thief on the cross. There was two thieves that died next to Jesus. And one of them said, Lord, will you remember me as you enter your kingdom? And Jesus said to him, truly, I tell you, this day you will be with me in paradise. And it's a really, really important story because what it means is this thief did nothing. He actually died right then on the cross. It wasn't like he got himself down and started a connect group and you know, was a leader in the church and went and said sorry to all the people that he stole from and got baptized and then was an elder in the church. Jesus said, no, truly I tell you, today you will be with me in paradise. So do you need to be at church to be a Christian? No, but there is promise after promise after promise after promise that those who plant themselves in the house of the Lord will flourish. It's in Psalm 92, verse 12. I think it's going to be behind me. The righteous shall flourish like a palm tree. He shall grow like a cedar in Lebanon. Those who are planted in the house of the Lord shall flourish in the courts of our God. They shall still bear fruit in old age. They shall be fresh and flourishing. And it's this beautiful picture for what it looks like to be a forgiven, redeemed Christian, that we plant ourselves in the church. Isaiah 27, 6 that, that says that the people of God will take root, they will blossom and bud, and they will bear much fruit. It actually says that they will fill the earth with their fruit. And that's what it looks like to plant yourself in the house of the Lord. I don't even know where to start with Katie and I's story. I, I, 
I, it's just, it would take, I need a whole nother message to try to, to talk you through just the, the blessing that we've experienced from planting ourselves in the house of the Lord. Years ago when we, we first came here, we, did, we didn't have any idea what it meant. We didn't know what it was going to look like. We didn't even know what we were signing up for. Had no clue that one day we would be ordained pastors. That was not on the roadmap. That was not on my five-year plan. God has taken us on this grand adventure. And we have gotten to do, we have been blessed financially. We have been, our, we have an incredibly healthy marriage. We have awesome kids. We have incredible friendships. We walk in an unbelievable amount of peace and blessing. And it's because we planted ourselves. We, we took seriously the promise of God that says, if you plant yourself in the house of the Lord, you will flourish. There's a, an intern here, um, I'm going to steal his story. I've done it before, and it's just such a great story. I'm just going to keep doing it. But um, about, uh, I think it was August 5th, um, about six weeks ago, we were having um, what we called power and petition nights outside in the parking lot, if you remember. And uh, so we would set up a stage, and we would have these nights where we would just worship and pray for our city, pray for healing from this virus, pray for favor in our city. And uh, I had this young man come up and pray, and it wasn't some soup. It wasn't like God spoke to me, Mike, have him pray. It was nothing like that. I just was like, oh yeah, this, hey, go ahead. Can you pray? And this young man goes up and, and he prays and it was, it was awesome. You know, prayed with authority, prayed with power in Jesus' name, amen, and gets down and it was great. Then I found out later that that evening he went home and was unwinding, you know, pulling up Facebook on his phone and time hop, you guys know it for all of us older folks, time hop is a feature on Facebook that will show you exactly three years ago or exactly five years ago to the day. It just kind of takes you back and you see the old picture like, oh my gosh, five years ago we were in Hawaii, whatever. But for this young man, when he gets home and turns on um, and opens Facebook, time hop takes him back five years, five years to the day, August 5th, 2015. There we go, five years ago. I'm an engineer, don't worry about it. And... Um, and there's this picture of where he was five years ago, and he remembers that exact picture, the exact moment, because he says it was when he hit absolute rock bottom. And five years ago, August 5th, 2015, he cried out to God. He prayed. That's what praying is, crying out to God. He cried out to God in desperation, said, Lord, please, take. I don't have the strength to walk through this. I don't have, I need you. I am desperate for you. And it's interesting because he remembered specifically praying that God would fast forward him five years. He said, I don't have what it takes to, to walk myself out of this mess that I've gotten myself into. Lord, if you could, I don't have, it's going to be too painful to, to walk it back. If you could please just shoot me forward five years. And exactly five years later, August 5th, 2020, again, he's praying. Again, he's crying out to God. But this time, it's not from a place of brokenness and desperation. It's from a place of authority. It's from a place of power. And this young man got on that stage, and he prayed that he would see a city saved. He prayed with the power of God that we would see families brought back together. And that's what happens when you plant yourself in the house of God. This is a house of transformation that you're going to leave different than when you came in. And if you just plant yourself, you will see the goodness of God, the blessing of God, the favor of God in your life in Jesus' name. Katie and I went to um, uh, Northern California a few months ago, and, and I saw uh, the redwood trees. Anybody seen the sequoias, the redwood trees, right? And we have this joke in our marriage um, because I, I grew up um, very poorly traveled, okay? The most 
exotic vacation I'd ever been on before I met Katie was SeaWorld in San Antonio, Texas, okay? And uh, Katie had been everywhere. Africa, Asia, Europe, everywhere in the United States, all over the place. And so it was this, I was just so naive about the world and places in the world. And so we got married in Northern California almost 10 years ago. And so when we first showed up to kind of get ready for the, the wedding, I remember going like, oh my gosh, Katie, look, a redwood tree. And she just burst out laughing. And you know, if you've ever actually seen the redwood, you know. I mean, it is a spectacle, you know. And it was just actually just like a really big pine tree. But I had never been anywhere. I just saw a really big pine tree. I was like, look, a redwood. And we went uh, a few months ago back to Northern California to visit and went to uh, a, a forest of redwood trees. And I found out that the redwoods are the largest species of tree on earth. They grow to 350 feet tall. That's about the height of a 35-story building. And their root systems only go down about 6 to 12 feet. And so the source of strength and stability for the redwood trees is not the depth of their root system. Their roots go wide. And they actually get intertwined and entangled with neighboring redwood trees, with neighboring sequoia trees. And the reason that this, this illustration, um, this metaphor we get, that those who are planted in the house of the Lord is so beautiful is because it's talking about us taking root, of our roots uh, taking um, uh, ground in the soil. And the, the source of stability and nourishment, that's what roots do. Roots provide stability and nourishment. The source, um, the root system of the largest species of tree on earth is not deep, it's wide. And we can over-glamorize depth as believers. We're just like, oh, it's just me and God. You know, I know, I know Galatians frontward. I actually know Ephesians backwards. I've got Colossians memorized, you know, and, and that's a good thing. It's good to be devoted, to know the word of God. But it's not depth that provides our stability and our nourishment. It's our community, it's our with, by intertwining yourself with others, by being planted in the house of God, by doing life with good people. And the Bible says that the result will be that you will bear much fruit. So here's we come to a close. I'd love it if you just um, bow your, your head and close your eyes. And this story in Luke talks about Jesus as the great physician and how he orchestrates the administration of this cure, how he comes into our hearts, into our minds. He tears down the walls that we've built um, and heals us. The Bible says that he mends the wounds, that he heals the heart of the broken, that he rescues those who are crushed in spirit. And it is so crazy to me as we see the providence of God, how he works everything together to, to, to get you here. And I don't know the circumstances that brought you here. Um, I don't know if a friend invited you. Maybe you've been here for a long time, but you just feel distant from God, feel far away from him. And God is, has been orchestrating things to get you to this very moment to administer the cure, to minister to your heart, to tear down the walls that you've built. And while we were doing church outside on um, uh, on, on Wednesdays uh, a few months ago, there was a story of um, this young lady who uh, another woman from our church invited her on Instagram. Said, hey, you should, you should come check it out. On Wednesday nights, we're doing this big outdoor thing. And she said, yeah, sure, I'll be there. And then, then changed her mind. Said, actually, you know, you know what? Not gonna do it. So um, this young lady, her husband, 
um, texted her on the way home from work and said, hey, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to get some, uh, I'm, I'm going to order food. Do you mind picking it up on your way home? So she did, yeah, sure. And somehow, not by coincidence, by the divine providence of the great physician, the restaurant that her husband ordered the food from happened to be in this very shopping center. And so while we're having church outside in the parking lot, after she said, you know what? No, I'm just not going to go tonight. She found herself in the parking lot at church. Come on, somebody. And that is God working all things together, pursuing us, being the great physician, saying, I am going to find a way, come hell or high water, to heal your heart. Um, My beautiful niece, Molly, can give everybody a wave? Molly's right here. Molly moved in with uh, Katie and I um, uh, about a month ago and just needed a little reset and moved from Texas to come and, and be with us and um, needed to get a job. And so she has been applying all over the place, you know, brand new here, don't, doesn't know a soul outside of Katie and I, and, um, and got this job. And I think for Katie and I, um, you know, one of our um, sort of concerns was we just really want um, Molly to be around good people and, and to be in in a community where, where people are uh, not tearing her down but building her up, right? And so we were we prayed. We said, God, whatever wherever she works, I pray that there would be people there that would that would be good influences, that would take care of her, that would be a good friend to her, that would lead her in the right way. And so she got this job, shows up to her first day at work, and then is driving home, gives me a call, and I said, Well, how did it go? And she said, Oh, it was great. Uh, my boss knows who you are. And I was like, what? What do you mean? It's in, it's in Poway or something. And she said, oh, yeah, the, my boss is like great friends with Dr. Matt Hubbard. She goes to the Bressy Ranch campus of Awaken Church, is super plugged in, has been there forever. And it was so, it just like, it wasn't like we had any, it, it wasn't like we said, we didn't try to find her. Like, this was just her out on her own. Out of all of the places in the greater San Diego area, a city of millions and millions of people with hundreds and thousands of businesses, the one place that she got a job, her boss goes to this church. And it was just to me another example of God's divine providence, how he pursues us, how he is the great physician. And so I don't know what brought you, I think I asked you to bow your heads like a long time ago. Sorry, I got sidetracked. Anyway, now if you could bow your heads and close your eyes. I want to just pray for some people here as we close. Maybe you're in here. And God's been whispering to your heart as we've been hanging out here this morning. And maybe you feel infinitely far away from him. Maybe you feel, um, maybe you used to walk with God years and years and years ago, but life got in the way, whatever. It doesn't matter. He is the great physician. And, and don't take this the wrong way. A lot of people say, you know, oh, I'm just going to, once I kind of get my life together, then I'll go back to church. I mean, obviously you guys are here in church, so it doesn't apply to you. But people say, oh yeah, you know, I'll, I'll, I'll really plant myself in church or I'll really, you know, start, start attending more faithfully or whatever when I blah, 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 when I clean up my life, when I start making whatever. And don't take this the wrong way, but if you could have cleaned up your life on your own, you would have done it already, okay? That's the whole point. The song we sing is that he breaks every chain, that there is power in the name of Jesus, not in your own willpower, not by you gritting your teeth and being self-disciplined. So will you let him come into your heart today to rescue you, to be the cure for whatever ails you? You know, you, you know that you're sick when there's symptoms. And the symptoms of being far from God, of being away from him, are anxiety, loneliness, despair. Despair is just a word that means hopelessness, the, the absolute absence of hope. But I'm telling you, there is hope for you here 
this morning, that you can leave this place filled up with purpose, with meaning, with joy. Joy is different than happiness. Happiness is based on the word happenings, happenstance, happy. Happiness comes and goes, it's fleeting. When something good happens to you, you're happy. When something bad happens to you, you're sad. Joy is an everlasting, persistent state of the heart and mind where it doesn't matter what's going on in your life. It doesn't matter how things are falling apart, but you will find yourself overjoyed, able to say things like, this is the day that the Lord has made. I will rejoice and be glad in it. So if that's you and you know that today is the day where it's time for you to connect to God for the very first time or reconnect after time away from, maybe you just feel far from him today and you're ready to, to recommit. I want to just include you in my closing prayer. So here in a second, I'm going to count to three and I want you to just lift up a hand so I can see who I'm praying with and I'm going to pray with you. So again, if you're in any one of those groups of people, just have never ever in your life surrendered yourself to Jesus. Maybe you did a long time ago, but you've fallen away or maybe you just feel far from him. On the count of three, I want you to just lift up a hand. I'm going to pray with you. One, two, three. Who are those here? Awesome. I see your hand right there. I see that hand. 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 Awesome. Awesome. Who else? See that hand. Beautiful. Who else? Who else? Awesome. I see that hand right there, young man. Once I've seen it, you can put it down. Great, great, great. In the back, I see you. I see that hand. Incredible. I see that hand right there. Thank you, sir. Anybody else needs to make that decision today? The great physician knocking on the door of your heart. In Jesus' name. Thanks for listening. To find out more about our locations, team, and what we do here at Awakened Church, go to awakenedchurch.com.